This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Thank you very much, Roger. Good morning to you. Good morning, world, as we come your way with our weekly visit to talk about agriculture and all of the activities involved in producing food on farms across the United States, as a matter of fact, around the world. But good to be with you every Saturday morning to talk about it and some interesting topics today. As a matter of fact, it'll be tough to get it all done in an hour because we've got so much going on. But uh, those of you who uh, took family to Sunny Acres on North Avenue in Chicago uh, over the years, we'll be talking to uh, Rich Feltus of the Feltus family because the uh, Sunny Acres has been sold and what's going to happen to it. Well, you'll find out if you stay with us here on this Saturday morning. And, of course, Jim Fazell stopping by. And as we come to the end of June Dairy Month, we're going to be talking uh, on our market uh, interview with Max Armstrong. We're going to be talking to Cody Coster of Rice Dairy. firm here in Chicago who specializes in trading in the dairy industry contracts. So a lot going on this morning and uh, Jim Fazell stopping by and we'll check in with him when we continue on the Saturday morning show. Jim Fazell joins us ahead of the 4th of July holiday and Jim are you planning any travels or fireworks or big events? Well, we're not planning any travel, but we'll watch the fireworks uh, in our community. We can see them from our back window, as a matter of fact, which is very convenient. We don't have to get out in the traffic and the bugs and so forth, and uh, we'll enjoy it. We're we're just going to spend the time at Holtman and uh, have a nice, relaxing Fourth of July. It's the Fourth of July week, and there are a lot of things going on now. In fact, there are a lot of people going. I noticed on the traffic report yesterday morning at early that uh, all of the expressways in the Chicago area were showing green, which yes. means there are probably a lot of people that are out of town and having a, a go at having vacation and enjoying the holiday. And when we're outdoors, you know, there are a lot of things that that happen. One of the things is that we in in doing our picnics and our fireworks and the camping and so forth, we run in of bugs Uh, and after the persistent rains that we've had with the warm now the warm temperatures in fact uh, this this strange switch from uh, almost spring-like to summer-like has been really tremendous but the bugs love it they like hot weather so we got the ants and the chiggers and the mosquitoes and even gnats they make your outdoors kind of miserable if you don't do something about that you know, we always hear a lot about ants, and ants are a problem this year. Usually we don't think too much of them uh, as far as picnics and that kind of thing are concerned. But the little pavement ants, these little tiny ones, either oh, black yes. or red, we see just piles of them, and they get indoors. You need to do something about that, uh, and you need to do something about it outdoors if you're at a picnic because actually there are some bug sprays that you can use that are perfectly safe uh, on uh, the picnic table and so forth, to keep the, usually around the feet of, uh, of the table to keep the ants on it, off of it. Uh, indoors, use the ant baits. That works really well. But outdoors, the mosquitoes, 
Uh, we're beginning to get mosquitoes, and we've had two kinds that have shown up. First of all, we had the floodwater mosquitoes. Those are the larger ones, usually out at dusk or early in the morning. And now we're beginning to get what they call tree hole mosquitoes. These are little tiny ones, and they're locally generated. They don't have, they don't rely on floods or anything like that. They actually live in little tiny pockets of water, and they are called tree hole um, mosquitoes because where there's a uh, a fork and a tree, a lot of times you'll have a little bit of water stand there. That's sufficient for them. So they'll breed into things like the the uh, swimming pool that's left out in the backyard or a spare tire that's sitting there with water in it uh, or a flower pot that hasn't drained. So those are the things that, that uh, you need to to do something about. Reduce the numbers on your property by by getting rid of those containers and so forth, making sure that they're empty. And empty that little that swimming pool out every day so that, that uh, there's nothing going to grow in it. Um, outdoors, if you're going to be out in the garden and picnicking and so forth, picnicking, there are a lot of things you can wear. Of course, DEET, D-E-E-T, the, the uh, common mosquito repellent, and citronella, which is what we had when we were kids, and skin so soft. And now there are the insect repellent clothes, which work pretty nicely, except for one thing. They don't stop the bugs where you're not covered. So you've got to cover your face or your arms or whatever with some kind of other insecticide or repellent, even if you're wearing those. They won't bite through those, but they're going to bite around them. Uh, if you're going to have a big picnic, maybe you want to get a fogger outdoors. Um, uh, you can buy these at the garden centers. They'll fog a small area. Or if you have a big picnic going on, there are commercial firms that will come out, and they will treat a whole big area for you. And uh, this lasts for three or four hours. So if you do it just before the company begins to arrive, they should be pretty safe for the duration of the picnic. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice this morning too, Orion. Must be the weather. Anyway, there's another thing that, that, that bothers me. In fact, I'm particularly susceptible to chiggers. If I'm going to walk through the grass, I put deed on my shoes. And, you know, the kind of work that we do, we're out in the grass all the time. Uh, chiggers are really miserable because they'll crawl up and down on you and they get under your armpits and around your waist and so forth, and they burn like fire for quite a while. So preventing them is a lot easier than, than uh, taking care of the itch once you get it. Stay out of the tall grass if you can, especially moist grass, and do put a repellent on your shoes. If you've been out in an area where you have a lot of them, a warm, hot, even a hot shower with a lot of soap will wash them off before they can settle down and give you a bite. Uh, ticks. Now, we hear a lot about ticks lately because they do carry some nasty diseases. And uh, if you're going to be in an area that's in, infested with ticks, especially in the wet weather that we've had, they'll crawl up a, uh, a tall grass plant and they just wait for somebody to walk along and they'll latch on and crawl up and they'll, they'll settle down to feed on you. Uh, they are prevented with deed on your shoes and your cuffs. Uh, but if you're going to be out in that, wear long sleeves and pants tucked into your socks. Uh, Jane and I used to pick blueberries up north with Grandma up in uh, Wisconsin, and there, were, there was one blueberry, one tick, one blueberry, one tick. And if, we, if you weren't protected, you were going to get ticks. Once you get in from an outing like that, be sure that you have somebody check you carefully to make sure that you don't have any on you. The brown ticks you can find very easily. The deer ticks are little tiny things, and you want to be sure that you get rid of them because those are the ones that carry um, some, some really particularly nasty diseases. Uh, finally, the gnats. We, we um, have gnats every once in a while. They're really annoying. They don't bite. They just get into your eyes and your nose. If you're going to do a lot of picnicking and that kind of thing outdoors, you might consider a, a screen type of enclosure that you can set up real quickly, like one of these easy up and tents and so forth. In the meantime, enjoy this warm weather. It's what we've waited all winter for, and here it is. 
Be sure you indeed drink, it is. Drink plenty of water and uh, enjoy your holiday. And you do the same, and uh, don't get hit by a by an errant firework. Okay, you be careful of that. I'll do that. You too, Orion. Thanks. Okay, Jim Fazell, who is with us Saturday mornings here on the Saturday Morning Show. Over the years, we've enjoyed the opportunity many times to talk to market analyst Rich Feltus with R.J. O'Brien. And we may get to some market talk in a few minutes, Rich, but I want to talk about your family history and a place called Sunny Acres, spelled S-O-N-N-Y, Sunny Acres, well-known here in the Chicago area for a long time. Give me a little bit of the background on it, Rich. Well, indeed, the uh, family has been on that property 136 years, Orion, uh, in 1951, uh, 68 years ago. Uh, my folks started a, a small roadside market, uh, had first-year sales of only $331. Uh, but since then, uh, it has uh, expanded uh, to include uh, a uh, large fall festival uh, with hay rides, with school tours, uh, with uh, a spook shed and so forth. Uh, and in any event, um, historically here just uh, about a month ago, uh, the family finally uh, turned the property over. We found a buyer, and uh, we are out of it. We're all aging baby boomers, and uh, it was time to pass it on. My mother passed a couple of years ago, and uh, we're delighted that the uh, new owner is going to continue uh, with the same branding, with the same uh, uh family-friendly activities, uh, and continue on with the tradition of Sunny Acres. But they are going to do some building by it, uh, and that will not have an effect on Sunny Acres? Well, actually, uh, if I can use that common term here, that was a little bit of fake news in the uh, local paper there. They have no intention here, uh, at least to my knowledge, in the early going of doing any building on the property. They want to... uh, scale up on the existing Sunny Acres name, its reputation, its branding. Uh, they're going to be uh, basically continuing with the same program that we have advanced over the decades and continue to build upon that. Um, they're going to be reopening the business here in the middle of next month sometime after the uh, uh, fruit and vegetables come in. In the meantime, uh, they've been uh, upgrading uh, parts of the facility uh, they plan to improve the Spook Barn experience, which has been a big part of the Fall Festival. Uh, they also want to expand the uh, operating uh, time frame for the business and bring in more uh, family-friendly activities in the summer as well as the fall. Uh, down the road, they want to uh, uh, bring in uh, the wedding business and uh, gear up Sunny Acres as a, a wedding venue. And in addition, you know, basically continue our long-standing tradition of supporting community events, serving the public with good, wholesome family fun activities. Well, all of the parents and the grandparents and the and the kids, I'm sure, are happy to hear that news. Business as usual for the whole family at Sunny Acres. Now, I do have to talk markets a little bit because I have asked this question of farmer friends and market analysts and uh, anybody else involved in in corn and soybean production. Have you ever witnessed a spring like the one that we've experienced this year? 
Well, no, this is a historic event. It exceeds uh, the rainfall quantities we had in 1993, which was the closest analog that we have to this year, uh, Orion. Uh, it is record late planting uh, and uh, really brings into question uh, what kind of final yields we, we're going to have. But before we answer that question, we've got to figure out the acreage. We'll get some clue on that tomorrow, or I should say Friday the 28th, with the USDA acreage report. Uh, and beyond that, uh, this is a crop that's going to be so much more susceptible to uh, summer weather because of its very poor start. The rating in the corn uh, uh, nationally, Orion, is the third lowest since 1986. And especially in the eastern Midwest, where a lot of this corn is not going to be pollinating until mid to late August, uh, these first frost dates are going to be critically important. And prior to that, the growing degree accumulation, you know, that uh, takes our, uh, advances our corn. Corn is a heat crop, an energy crop, and it needs that. And uh, our own weather uh, internal forecasters that we use, Orion, uh, are the belief that we're going to have a cooler than normal, not only July, but August as well. So these, this first frost date element is going to be a key item. To me, it just simply suggests that the corn market's going to have difficulty retreating from its current levels until we get more clarity on the summer weather and uh, certainly more clarity on what the acreage is going to be. And we won't know that even at the end of this week with the acreage report because, as you know, the survey by the USDA did concluded on the 15th of June and uh, there were there was still a great deal of corn and even more soybeans that were still yet to be planted um, as of the 15th of June. So, uh, so many questions here, uncertainty and uncertainty basically uh, allows our markets to build in risk premium and that's exactly what they're doing. And I can add one bright spot to it, Rich, because our TV meteorologist on This Week in Agribusiness, Greg Solier, we talked to him about the frost date uh, this year, and he said he, at this point, does not see an early frost date. So maybe we'll get to maturity level before the frost comes. Now, what about the trade situation? Because that's been going on forever, and again, we're waiting for new from the G20 meeting on that possibility of getting solved. What do you think? Well, all I know is what I read in the newspapers and the financial media and the folks tracking this carefully, and the consensus seems to be that there will be no agreement this weekend. I think the most we can hope for, and let's hope this happens, is that the president elects to defer any additional tariffs on China while the two trade teams continue to talk and negotiate and try to forge a deal. Uh, I was on a conference call yesterday with Washington, and the view was expressed that uh, prior to the next election, next fall in 2020, there likely would be a trade deal with China. But that's a long way off. Uh, in the meantime, uh, as we look at our balance tables, especially soybeans, that's the, that's the pivotal commodity here, uh, it's difficult to dial in any soybean demand uh, out of the U.S. into China as long as these uh, frictions exist. Uh, perhaps uh, uh, Trump might uh, get the Chinese to agree to some uh, good faith buying of soybeans, another 10, 15 million tons here over the course of the next six months. That would certainly be a lift to our soybean market. But right now, I think the best we can hope for is that the two sides get back together and keep talking. 
It would be nice, and it would also be nice if we could get Congress to take action on the Canada-U.S.-Mexico trade agreement, because while our neighbors to the north, our neighbors to the south have said, we're ready, the U.S. Congress is, as I have said, all they do now is investigate. They don't legislate anymore. So uh, would it be meaningful to the grain market if the NAFTA number two, that I like to call it, would get signed and delivered? Absolutely. That is so critically important, especially with the uh, volume of meat products and grain that go to Mexico. Mexico, disturbingly, is already starting to diversify its sources of corn, bringing in corn from Brazil. Um, In this call yesterday, uh, we are told that with Washington, that the uh, all of the farm groups are being encouraged to write letters into their House of Representative uh, uh, congressmen and women and encourage prompt passage of this, hopefully before the uh, summer vacation. It's doubtful that this uh, legislation, if it does roll into calendar 2020 in an election year, uh, would get passed and that would be the worst outcome. Uh, I'm also told people that have done the head counts on the floor of the House of Representatives, and this is where the glitch is. It's going to pass in the Senate, the glitch right. is the House, um, that if Pelosi would bring it to a vote, that it would pass. It's just down now to a matter of whether or not she wants to give the president a victory on this or not. And I think she has forgotten that she is from the number one agricultural state in the country, and agriculture is important. I know unions and manufacturing is, but agriculture is vitally important to us. So we've got to get that message to her, I guess. Well, indeed, and and we're still hopeful it uh, passes. They've worked on it hard. Uh, uh, To her credit, they are meeting with the U.S. trade rep and talking about their you know, usual list of concerns, labor, environmental, and so forth. But the U.S. trade rep has been addressing those. And, uh, again, uh, we're ho- we're hopeful that this letter-writing campaign is going to have an impact. It's one thing to uh, express concerns, but it's another thing to turn, out, turn down a deal that is so obviously good for so many sectors of U.S. agribusiness and U.S. manufacturing as well, uh, just uh, to, uh, to spike the White House. Well, we'll keep waiting for all of those decisions, but the important one this morning, we're talking about Sunny Acres will be doing business as usual this year, and that's good news, Rich, and we thank you for that. A visit with Rich Feltis, R.J. O'Brien, here on the Saturday Morning Show. Starting a home improvement project can be stressful and challenging. More than 20,000 Chicagoland homeowners have trusted Bill Conforti at Cobblestone Development with all their home improvement projects. Kitchens, baths, windows, siding, and more. Bill and his project managers work with all the professional trades needed to ensure your project is done on time and within budget. With an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, Cobblestone Development offers great design, quality products, and expert installation. And right now you'll save 20% on all your home improvement projects. That's right, 20%. And we have affordable financing options. 
Hurry, offer ends soon. Visit cobblestonedevelopment.com or call 773-661-0606. 773-661-0606. Cobblestone Development, Chicagoland's premier home remodeler. Remodel your home with Cobblestone. I should mention that uh, because of schedules, we recorded that interview with Rich on Thursday ahead of the reports that came out yesterday, and that's why he really didn't get into the numbers, because we didn't have them at the time we did the interview. But we'll hopefully have time before the Saturday morning show ends to quickly review those crop report planted acreage numbers that we received this week. And uh, while we're about that, a reminder that uh, the holiday next week It'll be an early close for trade on July 3rd, the day before the 4th. Most of the ag contracts will be ending trade during the noon hour. Markets will be closed on the 4th of July and then reopen for normal trading hours the day after on Friday, July 5th. This is Chicago's very own 720 WGN, and it's time to check the news with the news headlines. Again, Roger Badish. Thank you very much, Orion. A Cook County jury acquitted a 26-year-old China Stapleton of killing her romantic rival after a fight. Prosecutors contended she intentionally rammed her Jeep into 18-year-old Tatiana Lewis multiple times in May 2017. Stapleton's attorneys argued it was a tragic accident. Uh, E. coli bacteria encountered at the San Diego County Fair has killed one child, sick and three others. Exact source of the bacteria is still under investigation. All four reported having contact with animals at the fair. So fair officials have now closed public access to all animal areas, including the petting zoo, but they plan to keep the fair open. A survey for Asian carp in Chicago area waterways found no trace of the invasive fish. 602 sites were investigated for fish. More than 400 sites investigated for environmental DNA. We'll check sports, traffic, and weather next on WGN. For over 55 years, Continental Motors has been making customers smile. Hi, I'm Joel Weinberger, one of the principal owners of the Continental Motors Group. With over 2,500 cars and trucks to choose from, Continental Motors has a vehicle for any budget. Plus, we are experts at taking care of customers after the sale. Experience the Continental difference. Shop ContinentalMotors.com. Shopping for a Mitsubishi? Find Continental Mitsubishi located on LaGrange Road in Countryside. Or visit ContinentalMitsubishi.com. You've heard me talk about the great people at U.S. Compliance, America's number one resource for helping manufacturers meet OSHA and EPA compliance regulations. Everybody knows a safer workplace can attract and retain better people, reduce risk, eliminate frustrating fines. But how do you keep up with the new government regulations, the paperwork in-house? It's costly. It's time-consuming. That's why there's U.S. Compliance, your affordable solution for environmental health and safety support, no matter how big or small your EHS department might be. Stop the stress of always knowing the latest in OSHA compliance requirements like four lift training or respiratory protection or lockout and tagout procedures they've done it for you stop having your people wear so many hats when dealing with complicated environmental permitting air and water quality requirements and waste management too here's what you do start with a free consultation now with u.s compliance they're going to help you handle ehs compliance so you can grow a healthy culture in a bottom line go to uscompliance.com get that free consultation uscompliance.com they even offer a 90-day money-back satisfaction guarantee you don't love them you don't pay u.s compliance care for your people protect your environment and grow your company. 
Checking WGN Sports. White Sox over Minnesota 6-4 yesterday. Those two teams playing again today. Game 2 of the series. Pre-game 235. First pitch 312. Right here on 720 WGN. Cincinnati over the Cubs yesterday 6-3. They'll play again today in Cincinnati. It was New York over Chicago in soccer action yesterday. In the WNBA, it was Seattle over Chicago 79-76. Checking WGN traffic. Right now, we've got an accident causing some issues westbound Jane Adams between Arlington Heights Road and Golf Road. We've got an accident there. Three right lanes are currently blocked, so be prepared for delays as you enter that area. For personalized traffic on demand, get the Traffic Chicago app approved by the mortgage experts of Team Hockberg. Just search T-R-A-F-F-I-X Chicago. Your forecast from the WGN Chicago Weather Center. Rest of the overnight, uh, excuse me, now we're into the better part of Saturday. We've got still a chance for some showers by 10 o'clock this morning. Then things become partly sunny after the showers pass through with a high near 89. Sunday, pretty much the same thing. Showers expected in the afternoon, though, still getting up to about 89 degrees. Temperatures around the area right now, 70 at Gary and O'Hare, 73 at Midway, 74 along the lakefront lake. Michigan water temperature at 65. I'm Roger Baddish in the WGN Radio Newsroom. These are the stories that matter. Time to get back to Mr. Orion Samuelson on 720 WGN. Thank you, Roger, and it's time for Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and I'm sharing my personal thoughts with you. The topic today, travel is the best education you can get. So, what's the plan this weekend? Going for a bike ride through the woods, and the kids want to learn how to kayak. We might visit a nature center, too. Sounds great. Good luck with a long drive. Nah, it's all in the forest preserves of Cook County. For us, it's 20 minutes away. They've got hundreds of miles of trails, campgrounds, even a zip line. Where did you find all this out? Their website, fpdcc.com. Sponsored by your forest preserves of Cook County and aired in cooperation with the Illinois Broadcasters Association and this station. After working as a farm broadcaster, writer, and traveling for half a century, my visits have taken me to 44 foreign countries, and after those travels, I am more convinced than ever that foreign travel is the best education you can get anywhere. The U.S. Grains Council, formerly known as the U.S. Feed Grains Council, invited me to go with them on several of their trade missions to countries around the world where they did have good markets for U.S. grains, but we also went to countries where they weren't buying U.S. grains. And it is a challenge, but I'm convinced, having participated in several of those trade missions with what was the U.S. Feed Grains Council, now the U.S. Grains Council, that face-to-face meetings with people who use your product in other countries of the world are the best way to maintain your markets and increase sales. I remember my first visit to Vietnam with the U.S. Grains Council. They don't grow much grain in Vietnam, but they do feed a lot of hogs. 
And on that trade mission, we were there to convince them to use U.S. corn more heavily in their feed ration. I remember sitting in a hot, humid classroom with farmers that uh, were barefoot and wearing just shorts, and they were writing notes from the U.S. Grains Council speakers talking about the benefits of U.S. corn in their hog rations. But the important thing I noticed when you meet face-to-face with people who farm differently, live in different countries, have different customs, and they get to know you, things happen, and you do develop a friendship. Now, on those trade missions, I did hear from some farmers who wrote to say, what do you mean they're spending my checkoff dollars for vacations? Believe me, these trade missions were never a vacation. Nothing but work and everything done to accomplish a greater market for U.S. farm products. So keep on going, keep on traveling, keep on meeting people in other countries, and keep on learning. My thoughts on Samuelson Says, presentation of Tribune Radio Networks at 22 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. And uh, just ahead, Max Armstrong talking dairy marketing with uh, our guest from Rice Dairy here in Chicago when we continue here on the Saturday morning show. As we're getting ready to exit June Dairy Month, we thought we'd talk about the dairy economy for a moment or two with Cody Coster from Rice Dairy here in Chicago. And Cody, you have a background in the dairy industry. You grew up on a dairy farm. I did. I did, yes. My family has a dairy in uh, northern Michigan. After college, I worked there for about uh, four and a half, five years, and then transitioned uh, to the big city at Rice Dairy. And the family is still milking cows? Yep, the family is still milking cows. You bailed out on them. I I did. I did. uh, Dad says I got out on the right time, um, but there's always, you know, that that option to come back if it uh, presents itself. Let's talk about how the dairy farmer is doing right now. Where is the milk price and where does it need to be? We've, We've languished for a while, haven't we? We have. And I think a big talking point as of recent is a lot of guys talk about basis, right? Basis, milk hauling, transport, um, plants buying, discounted milk. I can tell you in the Midwest, generally, um, right now, fluid milk is a dollar fifty under, um, transporting it from plant to plant farther away than it probably needs to go. And as of recent, because of the flooding and all the bad weather, we've seen corn and soybeans not get in the ground, the alfalfa crop. Uh, I think the tonnage will be there, but I don't think the the protein and the nutrients will be there. Um, so what's happening is we went from about a $15 class three price to maybe a $17, $17.50 class three price. But if you look back eight months ago at $15 class three and corn was at $3.70, guys were maybe still not making money, maybe breaking even a little bit. We needed a higher milk price. We've got that higher overall milk price, but with all the flooding and everything that's going on, we have seen corn and soybeans take a huge leap. So, you know, people will argue, have we really made a step forward in progress? I would argue that we haven't. The basis is still there, negative 50, uh, negative $1.80. 
and and corn prices continue to go higher and higher as, as we get more rain and the growing season gets shorter. We've struggled in some areas with uh, hay supplies, have we not? I mean, that's been a bit of a problem. There was a significant amount of winter kill, we had heard. Yes, we have. We have in the Midwest, there's been a lot of winter kill. There's been a lot of replant. Um, that same alfalfa, get it tore up and get it replanted for first cutting. As you know, the first cutting hasn't really gone as expected, but guys have had to get it off, so we have a good, hopefully, second, third, maybe even fourth cutting. Maybe fourth. Maybe fourth. Maybe. This is one of those years, isn't it? It is. It is. This is one of those years. I was talking to my grandfather when I was home last weekend, um, been in the dairy industry for 65-plus years, and he said, I have never, ever seen this before in my life. He said, this is something that 2019 you will tell your kids about, and you, they will tell their, your grandkids about this thing, too. Um we need perspective like that every now and then in our lives, don't we? We do. We do. It really sat me back and said, okay, this is, this is a bigger deal than I think people really understand. Right? We're, we're in the middle of it, but we still have a growing season. Um, corn that's not in the ground, alfalfa that's not in the ground. You know, in Michigan, you wake up on Saturday at the end of June and it's 50 degrees. That's not helping much of anything right now. You know, looking at the the total milk production of the nation, I was looking back through the past year. Mm -hmm. I think every month of 2018, the total milk output climbed, maybe by 1% or a little bit more. That's not been the case as we've come into 2019. I think about every other month, we've seen a decline thus far this year, albeit small, in the milk output. That, uh, I guess, is somewhat friendly to the overall situation long term, is it not? That we're maybe beginning to put the brakes on total milk output. Certainly, we've cut the herd by about 50,000, I believe, over the past year. Yes, yeah, uh, you are correct. And I believe the past um, March was the first time that we were actually lower in milk production. Um, you know, before that, it was like 36 months or, or three, three and a half years prior to that, where milk production was actually lower. Uh, May milk production just came out last week, week and a half ago, and it was also lower by 0.4%. So you've had two out of the past three months where milk production is actually lower. And what we're seeing throughout the country and different folks that I talk to is is milk production is steadily declining. But if you look at the butter fat, the butter fat is actually ramping up. If you kind of look at a chart, it might be um, year over year up one to one and a half percent, the butter fat compared to the milk production. So that tells me, guys, are we're doing three different things. We are breeding for better butter fat protein components. We are you know, keeping cows cooler in the summer, trying to keep them warmer in the winter here in the Midwest. Um, and, I, and I think the third thing is the, the feed. The, the nutritionists are really diving into this, saying that, hey, guys are not getting paid on the volumes anymore to ship this amount of milk. We're actually getting paid on butter fat and the protein Let's make let's make a ration for that. Let's really get these guys try to get them paid on this. So the efficiency is climbing. We're we're improving, even though the the, the other challenges are out there. Uh, we're milking fewer cows, but the output per cow just keeps on climbing. I mean that's it's remarkable when you look at it. I haven't I haven't seen that on a graph, but it just keeps going on up and up. How how much longer can we do that? That's an interesting point to 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 ponder there. It is. It really. Where's is. the top? You know that's a great question. 10, 15 years ago when people were getting 60, 65, maybe 75, 70 pounds per cow, that was something that we hadn't seen in a long time because of breeding and, and new rations kind of put on. Now, if you're into the 90s, into the 100 pounds per cow, even at energy-corrected milk, folks are like, okay, you know, this is, this is decent. To your point, where do we go? Do we go to 120 pounds? Do we go to 130 pounds per cow? I, I don't know what that looks like, um, but, but with new technology and new breeding every year, 
I think the sky's the limit on what we could actually see. We can't have a discussion about dairy without talking about the headline of the past month or so about Fair Oaks. Has that impacted, in your mind, fluid milk consumption at all? Is there any ripple effect through the industry simply because there was so much negativity attached to that situation? And and you had some of the retailers, you know, being proactive and, pull, I mean, immediately knee-jerk reactions within a matter of hours right. uh, pulling product uh, from the shelves. Do you think that's had any overall impact as far as the nation is concerned? You know, I really don't. I've seen a steady decline in the overall fluid consumption. But that was already going on. That it's, was already it's been going, going on. on for a long time. Exactly. Uh, families and kids are not sitting down and eating cereal in the morning. I can speak for myself. When I wake up, I'm not eating cereal with a glass of milk. I'm grabbing a granola bar that has whey protein in it. Um, it has yogurt already built into it. We're a grab-and-go community. And I think that is what we are going to continue to be. Everyone's on the go all the time, 24-7. Um, but Fairlife Milk was actually making a big indent in there because of the way that they packaged their milk, because of the way that they represented themselves and what their, you know, the, the casing and everything um, in the milk. So I think a lot of these stores that pulled it off the shelf, I could be wrong, this is completely speculation on my side, are going to realize, hey, regular milk is not selling. This product was actually selling. I think a few other things are going to come out in the in the whole you know fair life thing. There's always two sides to every story. People need to realize that and remember that. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see some more of these companies kind of bring fair life back in, put it on the shelf um, because those sales are very important to those companies. Great points. And some retailers never changed. Correct. Some of them kept the product right there on the shelf. They did. Uh, elsewhere in the country, you see it. It's very visible right yes. there on the shelf. Yeah. Uh, a perfect example: uh, Walgreens. You can't talk about the dairy situation without discussing cheese. How's the cheese demand? It's good. The, the, the cheese demand domestically seems to be very good. Again, speaking from experience, um, living in Chicago, when you go out to these restaurants, what's the first thing that you order with friends? It's usually an appetizer, uh, maybe some kind of a chip dip with cheese in it. Folks are ordering more cheeseburgers, again, with cheese on it. Going to McDonald's, they're putting double the cheese on some of these burgers and having special offerings for that. Um, I think the demand is still very good. And even the butter, people always talk about these fad diets, if you want to call it, that you know people my age are going through. The more butter that you can consume, I mean, the newest thing is putting butter in your coffee, right? <laughs> half of a stick or quarter stick of butter <laughs> into your coffee. If you can get half of America to do that, it would be incredible. So I think the domestic consumption of these dairy products is still on the rise, and the more that we can prove that it does good for the body, the better off we're going to be, obviously. But swing to the international scene. What's happening there? And I guess you have to talk about China in some way, shape, or form, as big as they are, as big a player as they are. Of course, we've had the trade war going on, but then they've got the African swine fever. Mm -hmm. What about the dairying sector and demand in China? The demand in China we've actually seen in the past 12, maybe even 14 months has really ramped up on the fluid milk and cream side and also the cheese side. Um, we've heard from a couple different people in the industry. Obviously, China is a big pork consumer. There are experts in the country throughout the world that are saying, hey, they had to kill a big, big, big lump sum of the pork. Maybe they start culling some of their cattle to feed the country. I think the Dairy cattle. Dairy cattle. Um, I think the government is starting to see that, and I believe that you know they jumped up uh, April and May this year. I believe 
fluid milk and cream imports into China were up above 75,000 metric ton. If you look from 2016 to 2018, they were at or below 60,000 metric ton. So that's saying, you know, China is definitely coming in here, importing products, getting on the GDT auction that happens every other Tuesday and getting these products to, you know, the, the, the country and, and, and feeding them. Cody Coster, he is, uh, well, grew up on a dairy farm in Michigan and uh, now is a market analyst uh, in the dairy industry for the folks at Rice Dairy here in Chicago. Some interesting thoughts that uh, we are winding up June Dairy Month thinking about and uh, realizing there's still a... uh, a customer base for milk and dairy products, but we've got to work at maintaining and growing those uh, those numbers. Well, Max, uh, don't go too far away because we've got to catch up on the weekly crop report when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. It's time for our weekend check-in with one of the technical service representatives of BASF to get a handle on what's going on out of the fields, Kurt Martins. Joining us this weekend somewhere out along the highways and byways of the Midwest, where notwithstanding USDA reports on on planted acres for the 1st of June, there are still a lot of acres unplanted, I guess. Now, now I will say, Kurt, I have heard from people traveling the countryside this week that they saw a lot of tractors out there working after dark, a lot of lights on, a lot of planters still moving. But I would imagine some of that's uh, perhaps spraying in some instances, too, isn't it? Yeah, we got a lot of spraying going on right now. Our corn's finally starting to jump. And so a lot of corns getting, uh, especially the planted corns, getting sprayed or they're finishing up spraying it or trying to get to it if they can without getting stuck in some of these fields. And then the smaller corn or later planted corn is prime time for spraying it. All while at the same time, our post-soybean trip starting to happen, especially for the guys that are trying to spray Ingenia or Cinemax on the dicamb acres. So we, we know our time is starting to wind down there, so those acres in, are starting to, to get hit. So we've got a lot of spraying going on right now. And the heat is on. And uh, it's interesting, as I've visited with growers over the past uh, 24 to 48 hours, so many of them have said, man, this, these crops that are out here are coming to life, to be sure. Are you seeing a corresponding response in weeds, too? Yeah, the, the, the corn and soybeans are growing, but the, the weeds, are growing, especially the water hip, so it makes it that much more important to to be timely with our applications. And and a lot of guys, especially on the soybeans, maybe going out there sooner than they want, or something that we're seeing, especially in the soybeans, is that they're very short this year. I'm seeing soybeans that are starting to flower right now, and they may only be ankle high, so it's less than a foot tall. If you're on wide rows, obviously it's your time to spray right now due to the herbicide labels. But we got a little while before campy. So the recommendation is to add some more residual into our Ingenia applications. We're adding residual like, like Outlook to it if they're, they're not, uh, they're not blooming yet. That residual is going to help us take that, that protection until the, the, the soybeans get to campy. So we've still got to adjust a lot of our recommendations right now as, as we're getting through the season. That nasty water hemp has spread over such a wide area. Is it pretty much a 100%? I mean, throughout the area that you serve, is just about every county experiencing some water hemp. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's everywhere. And I would say the parts of western Illinois and eastern Iowa that I cover, it's primarily glyphosate-resistant, PPO-resistant, ALS-resistant. I mean, I'm starting to see some fair pockets of HPPD-resistant water hemp as well. 
So a lot of times it's going to contain resistance to all those chemistries. So it's, it's definitely becoming harder and harder to control because we're running out of, out of tools to control it with. You know, for folks listening to us who may not be familiar with how sprayers operate today, the efficacy, the efficiency, the precision with which growers are treating weeds right on the spot, using no more product than is necessary out there. It, it is a marvel to see all of the technology, the computerization that has come into the cab of the sprayer and out there along the uh, the boom out there where the nozzles are. Yeah, there's, there's sprayers running out there now that the individual nozzles shut off. So we're stopping spraying where we've already sprayed that reduces the amount of overlap, uh, reducing the amount of, of uh, pesticide that's applied. Uh, saves the saves the grower money, but also reduces the amount of pesticides that we're applying out there. So it is just amazing the technology that's in agriculture these days, and how much changed just in the last ten years. Great to talk to you as always, Kurt. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Be careful along the highways out there and the roads, and we would advise uh, motorists too to watch out for the tractors and the sprayers uh, that are on the roads these days too. Don't 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 try to go under one. As we've seen some folks in small cars attempting, that's not wise, is it? It is not. I highly recommend drivers don't do that. Our thanks to Kurt Martin's technical service representative with BASF. It'll be a different farm progress show later this summer with the mergers that have taken place among the companies that serve farmers. There'll be new names, new signs, new logos out there among the more than 600 exhibitors. It'll be the place for the producer to sort it all out. The farm progress show dates this year are August 27th through the 29th. The show will be back at Decatur, Illinois, the 66th annual farm progress show. Keep an eye on the website for updates, farmprogressshow.com. And before we leave you once more, a quick look at those numbers that we received from USDA this week. Farmers, they said, planted 91.7 million acres of corn, 80 million acres of soybeans. Didn't find many market analysts accepting that 91.7 million acre number saying, no, that's that's not a good number. And USDA will be surveying some of the states that uh, plant corn, and if they get new figures, it will come out in the August uh, crop report. So that's coming up. Pig crop report that came out yesterday, uh, the number of uh, hogs, Here in the United States, as of June 1st, at uh, 75.6 million hogs, and that was up 4% from June 1st a year ago. That corn market at the Board of Trade yesterday was interesting when the numbers uh, did come out and get uh, uh, digested by traders. The July corn contract traded from a low of $4.11 to a high of $4.55 a bushel, all in one trading session. Well, that's our time for this Saturday morning. Thanks, as always, to Bob Ferguson for engineering the program. Thanks to you for listening here on the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.